We began last Sunday talking about the kingdom of God and uh, I just want to continue on this theme probably for uh, several more Sundays as we study about the kingdom of God and uh, what God has uh, called us into. Now we began last Sunday by saying this, that God's original intent was to establish a kingdom of people who would be co-heirs with Him in that kingdom. Meaning God wants you and I to inherit that kingdom, to rule with Him, along with Him in that kingdom. And we kind of touched upon different things, how God introduced that kingdom in the Garden of Eden, how it was lost, how through Jesus the kingdom of God is reintroduced, and how you and I have been invited to inherit that kingdom. This morning, I want to just continue on that and just talk about the king and his kingdom. Just focus on the king, God as king. And then touch upon a little bit on how Jesus introduced that kingdom to the earth. What method did he use when he introduced the kingdom of God to, on the earth? Talk about that. And then move into talking a little bit about the relationship the church has with the kingdom of God. And uh, in our north service this morning, I couldn't complete the morning's message. So it's likely that I won't be able to complete it here this morning. But we'll go as far as we can and then continue next Sunday. So let's talk about the king, the king of the kingdom. You know, we perceive God in many different ways. Many of us know God as father. We know him as savior, as healer, as Lord, as deliverer in many different ways. But what the Bible also teaches us and brings to our attention is that God is king. And we must learn to relate to God as king, as ruler, as Lord over everything. I want to just touch upon that this morning here. For instance, if you go to Psalm 145, David shares with us some facets of his understanding of God as king. In Psalm 145, he says, I will extol you, my God, O king, and I will bless your name forever. So he says, I will worship you, I will extol you, God, my king. He's worshiping God as king. And then over in verse 10 through 13, the same chapter, he says, all your works will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. To make known to the sons of men His mighty action, His glorious majesty of His kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. So He's worshipping God as King and then He's saying, God, your people, they're going to talk about the glory of your kingdom. They're going to talk about how great your kingdom is. We, we, we affirm, God, that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. We are recognizing you and worshiping you as king. Psalm 47, verses 6 and 7, the psalmist says, Sing praises to God. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. So now when you come to worship God, he's saying, Can you do it this way? Can you do it as singing praises to the king? Amen. How about if we do it when we worship God? When we are singing our praises? How about if we sing it with this hard attitude saying, God, you are king and I'm singing praises to the king. This is my tribute. This is my offering. This is my way of exalting you and acknowledging you as king over my life. And even in our prayers, how about recognizing God as king? For instance, in Psalm 44 and verse 4, the psalmist says, You are my king, O God. So he's saying, God, I recognize you are my king. 
And in the land of the fact that you are my king, here's what I want you to do. I want you to command victories for Israel, for Jacob. God, you're king. So my prayer is that you will issue and decree. Issue decrees. Issue commands. Of what? Command victory. The Hebrew is simply the word for salvation. It is an all-inclusive word, Yeshua, from which we get the name Jesus. It's a word which not only means victory, but healing, deliverance, prosperity, well-being. God, command this for Israel. You are king. So how about when you and I pray, in the light of the fact that our God is king, you go to God and say, God, I would like you to issue a decree in my life. I would like you to issue a command in my life. Command victories for me in this situation. God, you are king. Your word is your decree. When you speak, it will be done. No one can question it. So God, issue decrees for my healing. Issue decrees for my deliverance. Command victories, Lord, in my life. So this understanding of God as king can not only affect the way we worship and praise our God, but can also affect the way we pray to our God, saying, God, if you command it, I know it will be done, because you are the omnipotent ruler of this entire world. Amen? Now, here are some insights about God as king. Some of them, this may be very obvious, but just to remind us about looking at God as king, as the one who has a kingdom. Number one, as king... God is final authority. His authority is inherent in who He is. And nobody votes Him into power. And nobody votes Him out of power. If you like God as King, good. If you don't like God as King, too bad. He is still King. And your opinion will not change the fact that He is King. His authority is inherent in Himself. He doesn't derive His authority from anyone else. He is final authority. Secondly, as King, God's Word is also His command. It is law in his kingdom and God says it. There is no debates about it. There's nobody voting whether that should become law or whether it should not become law. His word is his command. It's law. Number three, as king, God's presence is also the place of all of his authority and glory. When you enter the presence of the king, you're entering the presence of his complete glory and authority. You know, just try to relate it to something we experience in our everyday life or in our normal life. And it's your friend, you know, you're very casual, you can sit and talk and don't worry, not worry about anything. But if you're meeting, you know, the president of your organization, you kind of leave all your monkeyness aside and you kind of behave a little dignified. Because you're entering the presence of somebody. And in his presence, he, he represents the authority and the weight of that organization. Now you enter into the presence of a president of a nation that's even more weightier. You know, you kind of wear your best suit and tie and and you're entering the presence of a dignitary. And his presence represents all the authority that's behind him. Now scale it up infinite times when you enter the presence of Almighty God. You're entering the presence of one who is king of all the earth. And in his presence, all his authority and glory is represented right there. And you and I have the privilege of walking in to that presence and experiencing his presence. Number four, as king, God's name represents the full weight of his authority. We understand that because when, when we mention the name of somebody who's achieved a lot, we, we immediately respond to that. That name carries weight, carries authority. So, so also the name of God as king. Number five, as king, God's kingdom is an expression of who he is. And I'd just like to spend a few moments on this. You know, as king, what happens in his kingdom is very important. And what God desires is that His kingdom be a true representation, a true expression of who He is as King. 
He doesn't treat it lightly when things happen in his kingdom. He wants to make sure that what happens in his kingdom is a true expression of who he is as king. Now what do we know about God as king? What are the facets of God as king? A very familiar verse of scripture uh, which we often read during Christmas time. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7 says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government, the kingdom, will be on his shoulder. This is the king. He is carrying the weight of his government. The government will be on his shoulder. But what kind of a king is he? His name is called Wonderful. Literally Hebrew meaning miraculous. He is counselor or advisor, the wise one. He is the mighty God, omnipotent in power. He is the everlasting father. He is the ruler of prince of peace. And I just continue in verse 7. It says, of the increase of his government on his kingdom and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So here is the description of the king who's carrying on his shoulder the weight of this kingdom or government. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His kingdom will always continue to grow and expand. There will be no end to it. But what kind of a king is there at the center of this government? His name is wonderful, miraculous. He wants his kingdom to be saturated with the miraculous. Miraculous are surprise gifts from God. Amen. And that's what he wants his kingdom to be full of. His name is Counselor, Advisor, the Wise One. He wants His kingdom to be filled with His wisdom. His people walking in the wisdom of God. He is the mighty God. The God of power, of omnipotence. Nothing can obstruct His plan, His purpose. What He wants to fulfill, there's no power on earth that will stop. He is the mighty God. And so be it throughout His kingdom. But He is also the everlasting Father. The King who is very compassionate, who cares about our needs. As a father towards his children, so is he towards us, to the needy, the poor, the oppressed. He's willing to step in to our troubles. Come and, and encourage us, be a father to us. So our king is also our father. And he's the ruler of peace. The Hebrew is shalom, means total well-being. He is the king who enforces wholeness throughout his kingdom. Bringing wholeness and peace into every one of his our people's lives. The king desires the kingdom to be an expression of himself. Amen. And also says in verse 7 that judgment and justice will be throughout his kingdom, his rule. Now here's what I want to bring our attention to. You know, sometimes when we talk about the kingdom of God, we tend to emphasize one aspect of the king's nature. You know, sometimes somebody will say, you know, the kingdom of God is all about the miraculous. It's all about him being wonderful. This miracle working God. That's true. He is wonderful. But that's not the only aspect of the kingdom. Somebody else might say, you know, the kingdom of God is all about the wisdom of God. And true, wisdom is important. This proverb says, get wisdom with all you're getting, get understanding. Wisdom is a principal thing, so get it. It is true that the king is the wonderful counselor. But that's only one facet, aspect of his kingdom. And what he wants to see throughout his kingdom. Somebody might emphasize only the fatherhood of God. God is a wonderful father. The king is a wonderful father. And that is true. He is a wonderful father. But that's only one aspect of who he is. What I want to bring our attention to is this. Simply that when we relate to God, relate to him for all that he is. When you represent God, represent him for all he is. 
Because the danger is, if you represent only one facet of who he is, the danger is you will ultimately misrepresent him. Amen? If somebody says the kingdom is all about the miraculous, if somebody says the kingdom is all about the fatherhood of God, if somebody says the kingdom is all about him being the prince of peace or of justice or whatever, then you end up misrepresenting God because you're saying, telling people, only this you need to focus on. Not true. The king is more than that. Amen? So represent the full facet of who God is. He's all of this and more. So let, and he wants his kingdom to be filled with an ex- expression of himself. Two more things. Uh, one, one last thing. As king, God is to be feared and honored. Jeremiah 10, 7. And would you not, who would not fear you, O king of the nations? You are king of the nations. So God, we reverence you. We honor you as king. God is to be feared and honored as king. For this is your rightful due. From all the wise men of the nations and all their kingdoms, there is none like you. He continues in verse 7 of Jeremiah chapter 10. He says, but the Lord is a true God. He is a living God and the everlasting king. God is to be feared and reverenced as king. Now, One of the greatest tributes to God as king came from the mouth of King Nebuchadnezzar, a Babylonian king. He knew nothing about the God of the Hebrews. And yet, you know, he, was, he ascended to such height of power on this earth, established the Babylonian Empire, so powerful, and then something went wrong. He lost his mind. He became deranged. He became like an animal. And once he had gone through that, that time of his life and ultimately was restored, he now turned back. He turned around and he began to extol and ascribe greatness to the king of all kings. Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar had to say about God. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 to 37, he says, At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom from generation to generation. All of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar understood, you know what? My kingdom will pass away, but the kingdom of this king will never pass away. And he says, His dominion is from everlasting to everlasting. It continues in verse 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar realized, you know, I am the king of a powerful empire, but yet I have my limitations. But there is a king who is infinitely greater than me. There is nobody who can contend with and stop his power. I must ascribe greatness to this king. He understands his own frailty. In verse 36, he says, At that same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor, my splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom. An excellent majesty was added to me. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All of his works are truth and his ways are justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. He says, you know, I now realize there's a king greater than me. And I want to worship that king. This king, our king, is to be feared and honored. Many places in the Bible, the Bible in the New Testament, it talks about our king. 1 Timothy 1.17 says he's the king eternal immortal, invisible God. He alone is wise and to Him belong glory, honor forever and ever. And several places He's called the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I want to encourage you as we study this, this whole 
teaching on the kingdom of God, I want to encourage you to begin to look at God as king. In your worship, worship this, this God who is king, who is full of authority and glory. In your prayer, and we'll look at more of that. In your prayer, you invoke him as king, saying, Lord, you are king. Command victory for me. Command deliverance in my life. Command healing in my life. You are king. God, I, when I come into your presence, I'm coming into the presence of majesty. When I call up calling on the name of the one who is the king of all kings. Worship him as king. Amen. I want to move now to talking about how Jesus introduced his kingdom. When the Lord Jesus came into this world, how did he go about introducing the kingdom of God? What did he do? And I think it's important for us to understand that because we, I believe, when we take the same approach that Jesus took, we too will be able to see the establishment of the spiritual kingdom of God. We're not talking about the natural kingdom that he will come and establish. But you and I are responsible for the extension of the spiritual kingdom. And as we adapt the same method that Jesus had to introduce the kingdom, we too will see the furtherance of the kingdom of God. John the Baptist had the, the greatest privilege of being the forerunner to Jesus. The one who would say, who would herald the coming of the king and the kingdom. Right? He said in Matthew 3, 2, he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The unique privilege of all the Old Testament prophets to be the immediate forerunner of Jesus Christ. And in the light of this, Jesus said in Luke 7 and 28, He said, you know, of all those born among women, there is no greater prophet than John the Baptist. Of all those born of women, this is the greatest prophet. He had this unique privilege of saying, this is the king. The king is coming. The herald. And yet Jesus went on to say this. The person who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. John the Baptist could introduce the king, but he could not enter the kingdom. Because unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Today you and I are sitting here as people who have been born again. And who not only say, hey the king is coming, we say the king is here, he's inside me. His rule and reign is through me. A rare privilege. Wonderful privilege. Amen. And he says, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than this greatest of Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist. I think you and I are sitting on a big pot of gold, so to speak. And we don't know what we're sitting on. We are in the kingdom. The kingdom is in us. Amen. And we must go forward to discover the hidden treasure that's in us. And that's what we want to do in this series as we talk about the kingdom of God. Now, how did Jesus introduce the kingdom? So he had a forerunner who came and said the king is coming. I see Jesus taking a threefold approach in introducing the kingdom. In Matthew the 4th chapter, the 23rd verse, we look at two verses of scripture here on this. Matthew 4.23, it says, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So when he went about introducing the kingdom, he did three things. He went preaching the good news of the kingdom. He went about teaching the kingdom. And he went about healing or demonstrating the kingdom. You see this repeated in Matthew 9, verse 35. It says once again, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. To sum it up, he did three things. He preached the good news. He taught about the kingdom and he demonstrated the kingdom. That's how he introduced the kingdom to the world. Preaching the kingdom, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. 
And I'm trying to imagine in my mind, you know, what would he have preached when he wanted to proclaim good news about the kingdom? Now, if you had to herald the good news of an earthly kingdom, what would you have done? You would have gone and told people, hey, look, there is this king. He has conquered his enemies and he is bringing peace. He's bringing shalom to everybody who comes into his kingdom. In his kingdom, uh, he's wonderful. He is a great advisor. He is so powerful. He's mighty. He's a mighty God. He's our father king. And you know, he's a prince of peace. Would you like to come into this kingdom? Telling people the kingdom of God. Telling about how this kingdom has overthrown all other kingdoms. And telling about how this king is so wonderful. You need to be in that kingdom. Amen. You and I have that privilege or that responsibility. As we seek to advance the kingdom of God to do the same thing. Preach the good news of the king and of his kingdom. Tell others about it. Amen. And then, what else did he do to introduce the kingdom? He taught about the kingdom of God. I mean, it's so amazing. Throughout the gospels, you see Jesus, almost every time he's teaching about the kingdom. And we're going to study about that in the coming weeks on the things that Jesus taught about the kingdom. But really through his teaching, he was transforming the thinking of the people and he was transforming the way they lived to the teaching of the kingdom of God. He said things like this, and just, just a little summary, just a highlight here of the things that Jesus taught about the kingdom. He said, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. He said, look, if you're poor inside, in your spirit, what does it mean to be poor in the spirit? It means you're always hungry. The poor are always needy. And so in your spirit, if you're always needy, you know, it's a good thing. Why? Because you're the one who's going to experience this kingdom. So if you're always hungry, crying out for more, God, I'm not satisfied with what I have. I want more. I'm hungry. Blessed are you. Yours is the kingdom. You're the woman. You're the man who's going to experience this kingdom. He continued in the same chapter in Matthew 5 as he's teaching of the kingdom. He said, you know, verse 10, he said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, for doing right things. Why? You're one of them who's really going to experience the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. So he began to teach people about the kingdom of God. And he said, you know, you want to be a hot shot in the kingdom of God? I'll tell you how to do it. He said, look, in verse 20 of Matthew 5, 19 of Matthew 5, he said, you know, if you break one of these commandments, look, and you teach others to break it, you'll be called least in the kingdom. But if you do and teach them, you will be called great in the kingdom. Listen, if you'll do the word, And teach others how to do the word. You will be great in the kingdom. This is the kingdom of God. It's not about what possessions you have. The position you hold. But if you will just do what God says. And teach others to do the same thing. It will give you a good place in the kingdom. And then he said listen. Look at the Pharisees. They are this kind of people. You shouldn't be. Matthew 5.20. He said unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of Pharisees and scribes. You will by no means enter the kingdom. He's teaching more about the kingdom of God. And he says look when you pray. Pray about the kingdom. He says, when you pray, you pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when you finish praying, acknowledge the king. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and Thine is the kingdom. I acknowledge you as sovereign king, Lord omnipotent over all this universe. The ruler whom nobody can question or challenge. Thine is the kingdom. And then he said, you know about your priorities? Listen, here's what your priorities should be. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So let the kingdom of God begin to affect your priorities. What you think is important in life. Seek first the kingdom and then what you eat, drink, sleep on, your career, everything else will be taken care of. And so like the Jesus taught about the king, 
teaching the challenge the thinking of the people teaching the challenge the way of living that's how we introduce the king amen but they also did the third thing he also demonstrated the kingdom we read in the early scriptures in matthew 4 and matthew 9 how we went about healing people casting out devils delivering people and he says this is the kingdom in matthew 12 and 28 jesus said if i cast out demons by the spirit of god then the kingdom of god has come upon you if i cast out devils by the spirit then this is a sign the kingdom of god is here this is me ushering in the kingdom by casting out devils and healing the sick is what jesus said so he demonstrated the power of the kingdom that's how he ushered the kingdom in to this world and he taught his disciples to do the same thing he said you know matthew 10 7 and 8 he told his disciples when you go you announce the kingdom of heaven is here and i want you to heal the sick cleanse the lepers raise the dead cast out devils freely you received freely give so here's the challenge i want to put forward to us you and i are responsible for seeing the kingdom of god extended here on earth we do the same three things announce the good news preach if you don't like the word preach use the word tell share speak whatever tell people about the king and the kingdom teach people the things about the kingdom of god and demonstrate the kingdom of god amen this is the method Jesus used, and I believe this is the same method you and I must use to advance the kingdom of God in our world today. Preach about the king, teach about the kingdom, and demonstrate the kingdom for people. Amen? I want to now go ahead and talk about the church and the kingdom. I want to touch about a little bit, little bit on that, and then we will uh, wind up after that. So what part does the church have in the kingdom of God? What is the relationship between the church and the kingdom? We must grasp this, we must understand it, that the church is part of the overall kingdom of God. And at this present time, the church is the representation of the kingdom of God here on earth. And God, or the Lord Jesus Christ, has vested in the church the authority of the kingdom. Matthew 16, 18 and 19, family verses to you and I, Jesus says, you know, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Peter had just proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is saying, Peter, on this truth that Christ is the son of the living God, on this truth I'm going to establish my church and this church is a church that will overthrow the powers of hell. And I will give to the church the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The authority of the kingdom of heaven is in the church. He says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And you will have authority. The church will have authority to bind on earth even as it has been bound in heaven. To allow on earth even as it is allowed in heaven. The church has been vested with that authority. But I want us to go back to the garden of Genesis in Genesis 1. When God created Adam and Eve, the Bible teaches us that Adam was both created and made. Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28. God said, let us make man in our image. And then it says, and so God created man. So man was unique. He was both created and made. His body was made from the dust of the earth. His spirit was created by God. So Adam was an offspring of God. His, his origin was from God. What's so amazing is this, imagine this God, this king, this omnipotent ruler of this universe. He creates Adam and Eve 
And he tells them, he issues this decree. He says, let them have dominion. Just think about that. God says, let them have dominion. Let's just repeat it. I think we need to awake. Our spirits need to wake up. Let's say this together. God said, let them have dominion. Now, who is this God? He is the omnipotent ruler. And he is issuing a decree. Saying, let man, Adam and Eve, man and woman, let them have dominion on the earth. It's no small thing. He's speaking into your life and mine. You were designed for dominion. He said, let them have dominion. Where? On the earth. Meaning everything, whatever transpires on that planet is under their jurisdiction. They are authority on that planet. And I am giving them that authority. Let them have dominion. There are no small words that God was speaking. He was transferring. He was delegating rule, lordship, authority, dominion into mankind. You have been designed for dominion. Amen? On the earth, you are in charge. And here's the point I want to also bring to our attention. That man's authority is really spiritual. Why? Because it comes from God who is spirit. So God was extending his rule and reign through man and woman, through mankind on the earth. God said, through them, I'm giving them my dominion. I'm giving them my authority. And through them, my rule, my reign, my kingdom, my government will extend throughout the earth. Through them, the wonderful God, the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the ruler of peace will express himself on the earth. Through you, through me, let them have dominion. In putting that dominion on the earth, God was saying, my kingdom will be extended on earth through mankind. All that I am, I will release through them so that my kingdom on the earth will be a true representation of myself, of God. And Adam was a spirit being living in a body that God had made out of the dust of the earth. So his authority came from the invisible into the visible. His authority came from the spiritual God, of spirit, and it came into the natural realm. And so also it is today. Our dominion, our authority on the earth comes from the spirit of, from God who is spirit flowing through us here on earth. Anytime we attempt to do it by ourselves, we fail. Because our authority doesn't come from ourselves. Our authority comes from God. And the key here is obedience. As long as Adam walked in obedience, he had authority. The day he disobeyed, he lost authority. So obedience to God is absolutely vital to walk in that dominion he has vested in you. Amen? It's so simple. As long as Adam obeyed God, he had dominion. The day he disobeyed, everything was gone. He became a slave. How important is obedience? Obedience to God is absolutely important. As we walk in obedience to God, we're able to flow in the authority and the dominion He's vested in our lives. Amen. I don't know if you're enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I've just been enjoying just discovering so much about the kingdom of God. So our authority is spiritual. It comes from the spiritual realm into the natural realm. What really connects us to the spiritual realm from where our authority comes is our obedience to God. That's why the Bible says, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. You walk in obedience, 
resisting the devil will be no problem. Amen. Now, what I want you to take with you this morning is the fact that God said, let them have dominion. He has never revoked that command. His word is His law. You have dominion on the earth. And in the church, the redeemed saints of God, this dominion has been restored. Because Adam sinned, he lost his authority on the earth. Satan took over. But Jesus Christ came, redeemed us, brought us back. And then he says, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of the authority of heaven now is vested in the redeemed saints of God in the church. God is speaking over your life and says, you have dominion on the earth. Amen. You know, I like to look at these demonic spirits as these cockroaches and rats that try to come into homes. The creeps, creeping things that come in. You know, as long as you love them, they'll keep coming. But the day you decide to exercise your authority, take the broom or your slippers, or whatever you use to kill those cockroaches, and chase those rats away. When you decide to use your authority, that's when you clean out your house of those cockroaches. But as long as you tolerate it, they'll be happy to infest your home. It's the same with demonic spirits. God told you, He spoke over you, saying, let them have dominion. The king of this universe has released his authority into your life. The demons have no right to infest your world. As long as you tolerate it, they'll be happy to do it. But the day you arise, knowing that the keys of the kingdom of heaven are vested in you, that you have the authority because you derive it from the king of kings and the lord of lords, you derive that authority. You have the right to say, devil, stop it. You have the right to do it. That dominion is in you. You need to arise. Exercise your God-given authority in your world, in your sphere of influence, in your sphere of activity. Bring in the kingdom of God. The king of glory is backing you up. Amen. I want to close with this verse and we'll continue this next Sunday. In his final 40 days on the earth, Jesus was about to ascend back to heaven and he knew he had only 40 days left with his disciples. He needed to tell them, you know, some of the most important things. What did he tell them? Acts 1 verse 3. To whom he also presented himself alive after suffering by many infallible proofs. Being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In his final 40 days, he continued teaching about the kingdom of God. Amen. He began his ministry by saying the kingdom of heaven is here. Throughout his ministry, he preached, taught and demonstrated the kingdom in his last 40 days, he's continuing his emphasis on the kingdom of God. For some reason, in the church today, in the body of Christ today, we've kind of lost this whole understanding. Probably we don't have the understanding of the kingdom of God. Maybe it's very, very little. We don't look at things from the kingdom of God perspective. But as we go through this study, as we learn the things that Jesus taught concerning the kingdom of God, I believe that will change. That our thinking and our way of living will become an expression of the king's dominion in our life. It'll be an expression of the fact that Jesus Christ is ruling in us and through us. Amen. As a church, we must rediscover the truths concerning the kingdom of God. We'll continue this next Sunday, but I want to just jump towards the end because we don't have time now. I want to go to the, the last end of the message, the priceless kingdom. If you could just jump there, please. 
How important is the king? How important is the kingdom of God? What should our attitude be towards the kingdom of God? The priceless kingdom. In Matthew 13, 44 to 45, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. What does Jesus say? Saying, look, if you want to have the kingdom of God, you want to experience the kingdom, it's got to be like this. Where you found the kingdom, it's like this man who's found a treasure in a field, and in order to have the treasure, he sells everything, and he goes after that. Or it's like this jeweler who's looking for you know, the best pearls, and he sees one priceless pearl, and he says, you know what? I want that one. I give away everything else. I'm going after that one pearl. And he says, you want the kingdom? This is how you've got to come after the king. It's got to be your everything. It's not just one of many things. It's everything. Amen. What is the kingdom of God? What does it mean to you and me? How much are we willing to pursue the king and his king? He said, it's got to be like this treasure in a field or this pearl of great price. Got to go after it while you've got it. Let's stand. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.